Hello and welcome to another episode of Doctor in the House. There are several crises that face the current administration. Uh, I guess the unique thing about this administration, most of the crises that they face are ones of their own manufacture. But one that we hear a lot about back home in Texas is the constant concern about the crisis at our southern border. It has been a problem for years, but it has gotten so much worse under the policies of the Biden administration that it's required multiple times to go and, uh, and give attention to the border. Now, most recently, our House Budget Committee, uh, led by the ranking member Jason Smith, uh, went on a trip down to the southern border, and from a budget committee perspective, it was important to see the financial and humanitarian cost. And look, you've got to lay that cost at the feet of this administration and the, their failure to secure the border. So today, great pleasure to be joined by my ranking member of the budget committee, Jason Smith, to talk about what we saw down there. And so welcome, Jason, and welcome for your thoughts on this crisis that faces our state. You know, Doc, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you and the good folks in Texas. We had, a, we had a great trip down to the southern border in the Rio Grande Valley. Uh, it was, they said, the largest delegation since, since Joe Biden has been in office. Uh, there were more than two-thirds of the, the House Budget Committee that was there, and we wanted, to, we wanted to have a trip focused on the billions of dollars that, that is being spent uh, whether it's housing illegals, uh, whether it's the processing, um, whether it's not finishing the border wall. And we even was able to track down some of the border wall materials that was rusting away. And, and you talk about hundreds of millions of dollars of materials that have been purchased that the taxpayers have paid for that are just sitting there rusting. And, and we're actually paying people they say somewhere between four to six million dollars a day in contracts not being fulfilled and um, just for storing it, which is such a waste. Uh, having that wall finished could help the the border patrol, as you and I saw, um, in so many ways. But it was it was it was a great trip. Glad you were there. Um, glad so many members of our committee was there. We learned a lot. Yeah, and here's one of the things, and I've I've studied this issue for a number of years. The, it's not new, just the, the level of, of anxiety that people have over the border is heightened because things have been run so badly. But one of the things I've maintained going back several administrations, if you don't go there and see it for yourself, it becomes impossible to understand, number one, what our men and women who run the Customs and Border Protection and run Agency for Children and Families, it's Im impossible to know what they have to deal with unless you go down and see it firsthand. And, and boy, did we ever. And you know, in fact, at one point, it looked like parts of that border wall were being pilfered by someone. And I don't know how you'd get that impression if you did go down there and see a big semi driving around with parts of the wall on it. You know, uh, we actually saw a, a load of, of material coming into the gate uh, on a semi while we were there. But you're right, Doc. Um, I don't know how the leader of this, this great nation can... Um, can basically make border policy and not show up to the border. And that's the same way with the vice president. Um, 
The fact that in their first week in office, they did so many executive orders rescinding the policies of the Trump administration, it's unconscionable. And in fact, as we heard from the Border Patrol, and, and you know, communication, so much of it is, you know, 80, 90 percent nonverbal. Right. And when we met with those Border Patrol officers and we asked them, what is the one policy that is the most important policy at securing our border? And that's the remain in Mexico policy. And that was the policy that this administration tried to eliminate. And the courts came back and said that you can't do it. And then they redefined it in such a way that the old remain in Mexico policy pretty much doesn't exist, exist because they exempted so many things that what was it? A border patrol officer told us that if you broke your arm in third grade, that you could uh, be exempted under the Remain in Mexico policy. That's literally what a Border Patrol officer told us because it's so broad. Yeah, as an adult, you could re- you you would be eligible. Yep. But and of course, the courts did reverse the the Biden administration's reversal of of the migrant protection protocol, as it's called. And yet, the application of MPP right now is like a fraction of what it was in the previous administration, where there might be a hundred people held uh, two years ago, held in Mexico. Now it's down to single digits. And I know you could sense it too, the frustration in custom border protection. These are not political people. They're not political appointees. They're down there to do a job. They take the job very seriously. They are protecting their country. They are serving their country. But it's almost like they're not allowed to with uh, the leadership they have from DHS and Secretary Mayorkas at this point. It's amazing. There's less than 20,000 Border Patrol agents. They kept saying the numbers, like 19,550 or something. And uh, a lot of people is referring to them as America's 911. And they really are to, to a huge degree. They, they do so much with so little. For that matter. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of them is taken off the front lines of securing our border just to push paperwork and to process um, the tens of thousands of illegals that's coming through the southern border um, every week. So it's a it's a mess and they're being overworked. Um, and then you look at the president's budget that just recently was proposed six weeks ago that wanted to cut DHS by $800 million. And when I asked the Border Patrol how this would affect them, they, the, the policies that have been working would be the policies that would be cut. And that's like um, flights that send people back to their countries that's here illegally. Right. That is making sure that people's not immediately caught and then released, um, which was beds that they were talking about. Um, it's just a mess what this administration, like you said at the beginning, this crisis uh, and so many of the crises have been created by the administration themselves. They're just continuing to fuel that crisis. So we talk about a budget cut because we're on the budget committee, but really what you just described was the absolute embodiment of defund the police because these Customs and Border Protection uh, agents are, are, they are our front line and they are our front line of law enforcement and stretched thin, overworked, having to take 
other functions, we actually went to two facilities. We went to the facility at Ursula, and we went to the facility at Donna. And both of those, uh, a great number of our agents were were actually just taking care of people, taking care of kids who had been brought in and left. And you can't just walk away in those situations. It's tough climate down there. It's hot this time of year. Uh, the terrain is, is, is rough that they've had to walk across. And as a consequence, there are people who are in need of immediate attention, both food and drink and <laughs> binding of their wounds, uh, not to mention just the, uh, the, the normal care of, that you'd have to do if you had a great number of children that were suddenly under your care. That's exactly right. I mean, and they're preoccupied with with the care of the migrants because just in the Rio Grande Valley, um, they average 10,000 a week. And that's just the Rio Grande sector. That's not the whole southern border. But uh, they're they're just preoccupied. And what's even scarier is, is that the numbers that they said, for example, if the Title 42 would would uh, be removed, that would mean virtually almost half of what comes to the Rio Grande Valley would also be caught and released here instead of being sent back. That's pretty scary. You talk about overworking our border patrol. And when you overwork our border patrol where they're doing the processing, what does that mean, Doc? That means that the cartel wins, that the cartel's making more money off of human trafficking and they're making more money and the border is more porous so that they can bring across the illegal drugs like fentanyl, meth, heroin. It's a disaster. And it's, it's, you know, it's not just affecting Texas. It's making every state a border state. And it's affecting Missourians. It's affecting all of us. It is a national tragedy. And when we sat in that field and looked at those rusting piles of, of metal that were supposed to be wall and realized that that was going to be the first line of defense of bringing fentanyl into our communities that is poisoning our children, and it's not going to go to work at doing that. And as a consequence, we have more drug overdose deaths in this country today than we have ever had. I think CDC put out the figures for the last year was at 107,000. When we thought it was a crisis in the early years of the Trump administration and began to work on it, the number was under 100,000. And now it is, uh, if anything, it's about 10% higher. Granted, the pandemic has played a role, but what also plays a role is the fact that they've just laid down the arms on the border and said, y'all come. And as a consequence, the cartels are coming. They're bringing that poison with them and they're poisoning our kids, as you point out, in every congressional district in the country. It's terrible, Doc. As you said, um, the hundred and over a hundred thousand deaths. Every, every listener has, has someone that they know, a friend or family member that they've lost because of this. Um, it's it's devastating. It's it's terrible, um, but it's a result of our policies. It is a direct result of our policies. A few years ago, we worked on this. The the as as I tell people, it was a different disease in 2015 than it is today. In 2015, it might be because your dentist overprescribed too many Percocet after getting your wisdom teeth out, and some of them got diverted and were used at uh, uh, for a, in a social function. Now it is fentanyl, 
And now it is fentanyl that's being pressed into pills that look like Percodan or Percocet, but when you take them, you stop breathing and die. And unfortunately, it's happening every weekend in every community in this country. You heard it, folks, from the doctor in the house. I take his word for it. I believe him. As we know, it's a horrible problem. And and we have to reverse these policies. You know, um, back in 2014, I guess 2012, when President Obama did the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, two years later, 2014, we had in Texas, in southern Texas, the same place as we were just uh, a week ago, uh, what was called a surge of unaccompanied minors. And they flooded into this country. I mean, it doesn't, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out, hey, you're expanding the role of uh, deferred action for childhood arrivals. Let's get a whole bunch more childhood arrivals because they've opened the door to them and they said, come on in. And as a consequence, uh, we saw just an enormous number of kids, primarily from Honduras, uh, El Salvador, and Guatemala, that came into this country. I went down there to San Antonio, Lackland Air Force Base, where they were holding uh, a, a large number of these kids. But as a consequence, uh, I'm actually on the Energy and Commerce Committee. I'm on the Health Subcommittee. Health Subcommittee actually has jurisdiction over taking care of those kids after they get put into facilities. Now, here's the thing that most people don't realize. It was a crisis back in 2014. It's a lot worse today. But here's the other thing. The Secretary of Homeland Security, the Secretary of Health, Secretary Becerra and Secretary Mayorkas, their entire focus right now is in moving these kids through the process quickly. Um, The last time I was at Fort Bliss, in El Paso, where they have a big facility for unaccompanied uh, minors, the time in the facility was under two weeks. That's incredible. It was like 45 days in the Obama administration, the Trump administration. And what it means is they're sending those kids out without having vetted the sponsors, and it is it becomes a dangerous situation for the kids. And of course, in our communities, true enough, someone is going to have to educate those kids. Someone is going to be responsible for the law enforcement, for the health care. And once again, it's being deposited in every community in this country because of the just the sheer volume, the numbers of people who are coming in. And the Biden administration's response to it is if they don't linger here long on the border or in our facilities, then the problem doesn't seem as bad. But here's the thing. The human tragedy is going to be substantial. That's exactly right. Well said. The you know, the turnover with the kids is so quick. Uh, the Border Patrol talked about how they did children recycling. You know, a lot of times when they cross that border, it's not just their first time. And it, it's sometimes how the cartel uses these kids to use U.S. policies to get single individuals into the United States. We we heard stories that how the Border Patrol um, had seen kids five, six, seven times with different family members. Uh, so clearly it's how they were able to uh, be worked and to, to get, a, get into the country. You know, a lot of people have seen the visuals of like the three and four-year-old um, child, children in El Paso that was dropped over the wall. Yes. And, you know, you... You think about those kids in the middle of the night being dropped over the wall and, you know, how horrible it is and the trauma that they're going through. 
The reasoning for that is so that the Border Patrol would be preoccupied to go get those kids so then they can run the drugs up a little bit farther. And that's exactly an avenue of how they, the cartel uses these children. And it's, it's, it's terrible for these kids' future and, and what they're going to be experiencing. It is it is part of the business plan, unfortunately, of the of the cartel, and you and I both heard it. I've heard it before. Operational control of the border right now is in the hands of transnational gangs. It is not in the hands of because of border protection are doing the best they can with the tools we give them. But the operational control of the border right now belongs to the criminal element, and that's really not right. It, that's exactly right. Uh, even the border patrol said that the southern border is secure but it's secured from the Mexico side by the criminal cartel because no one enters into that porous border from Mexico unless they pay the cartel. And roughly it's estimated that the cartel is making $32 million a day off of charging people to cross the southern border. They're advertising on social media in other countries. We had the border patrol tell us that along the southern border, We've had more than 174 nationalities that have came across the entire southern border, 71 alone in the Rio Grande sector that we visited. That's just not Mexico and Central America. That's Europe, Asia, China, all over, because they're paying the cartel, and they fly into Mexico, and and they get their little plastic bracelets from the cartel, and they cross over the border. That's right. No one does comes over that border unless they have paid their duty not to the United States but but to the criminal element. And then on this side of the border, because cities and municipalities are getting overwhelmed with the, just the sheer numbers, and we saw the, the films of that earlier this year, now FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, is providing the funds for transporting uh, folks to various cities and locations throughout the country. So in a way, we've become the last mile of delivery for the cartels with, with FEMA. It was, it was so amazing, Doc. When I was flying out of McAllen um, and going, going back to the Midwest, I was on a flight with probably 80% of, um, of folks that were illegals that had crossed the border that was going throughout the United States. And that's exactly what FEMA is doing with those grants is, is finding a way to direct people all over the country with de facto residency. Right, you and I could not get on that plane without a secure ID. However, uh, they are given travel documents and, and funding. Uh, and again, uh, that's part of the problem, but the real part of the problem is there's lack of, of, of seriousness and the lack of making this a priority. And we have seen the difficulties that were encountered in previous administrations, but this administration seems to have ramped this up to a level that, uh, unlike anything anyone's ever seen before. And that's the comment I hear over and over and over again with having made multiple trips to the border between El Paso and Brownsville. Nothing has compared with what it is now. It's never been this bad before. You know, the chart that sticks out to me, Doc, is whenever we were we were with the Border Patrol at the very beginning, and they were showing us the monthly um, uh, illegal encounters 
there in the Rio Grande Valley. And for like the last 12 months of the Trump administration, including the month of January, it was consistent. It was all right about the same number. And then in February, February, the first full month of the Biden administration, it doubled. And then March, it tripled. And then ever since then, up until April, which was the highest month on record, we've seen it go up. And the Border Patrol, when I asked, what was the policy that done that? They said it was rescinding the Remain in Mexico policy. And even though the courts ruled it back in effect, and I'll say it again, this administration has redefined the exemptions that basically it doesn't even exist anymore. Correct. And then on top of that now, the talk of rescinding the Title 42 restrictions, which is a CDC public health measure from the 1940s that said you could prevent people from migration across the border at the time of a public health emergency. And we know the Biden administration was planning on doing away with that a couple of weeks ago. The court said they couldn't, but the de facto effect will be the same and those numbers will only skyrocket after that point. You think about since uh, President Biden became president, more than 2.6 million people have illegally crossed the southern border. Think about that number. 2.6 million was the number that they said. That's like almost four entire congressional districts. I mean, that's just that's that's madness. And th- these are folks that aren't entering the country the proper way. And um, and a lot of people's upset about that because people have worked so hard to become citizens, to do it the right way. And now, now they're being passed over compared to everyone else. And, and there's a lot of issues with this, a lot. Yeah, they're still waiting in line for congressional districts. I mean, that's a, that's a state. That's, a, <laughs> that's an Arkansas. That's in Oklahoma. I mean, that is the size of in just one year. Yep. That of or the, the months and the Biden, since the Biden administration has has taken office, and it, it is absolutely incredible. And again, the the fact that the diversion of personnel from who are supposed to be protecting us from contraband and and uh, narcotics and fentanyl and methamphetamine, they can't do that job because they are primarily performing custodial activities, taking care of the sheer numbers of people who, uh, who they're apprehending. And, I mean, you were down there. This, is, this, could, be, this could be tough terrain. And all of the, um, when we were riding in those vehicles along the, uh, along the levees and you looked down to your south and saw the incredible tangle of mesquite bushes and carrizo cane, People are having to walk through that in order to get from the river to the highway to be able to get to where they're going. I mean, that is not an easy journey. And then think about the fact that a lot of times there are small children along with them on that journey. We don't really have a good handle on the number of people who have been lost, who have succumbed to heat dehydration on that vast Texas border, but it is significant and that is... It's not a it's it's not a benign process to simply say, oh, yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna enforce our border laws. People are dying as a consequence. 
people absolutely are dying. Um, they said that week alone that we were there, there was, I think, seven or eight that had just died crossing in the Rio Grande Valley. So there's multiple people. I, but an image that I won't forget is whenever we were on the Rio, the Rio Grande, um, we saw the border fence that some private, uh, a private farmer mm -hmm. built. And when I was talking to the, the, it was a Texas border patrol that the, the Texas highway patrol that took us along there. Um, and he said that they, that, that landowner built that fence to protect his property because whenever they would harvest, they would find so many bodies in the field that had just died. Yeah. And they were just trying to keep it where they're not cleaning up dead bodies all the time. I mean, this is real. It's a real issue. And this is why a landowner took their own dollars to put up a very large fence. I mean, it was it was as big as the border wall where there was actually a border wall. But then what was also a joke that we didn't talk about is, you know, we know that the border wall, the one point four billion dollars that was appropriated by Congress that has been held um, by this administration in his first week, which I personally believe is a violation of the Budget Impoundment Act of 1974, yes. uh, there was strange gaps. You would see the 18-foot fences, and then you would see guardrails that they put up that were like five foot tall in between because those were sections of the fences that weren't being built, but they felt like that the levy, according to the Corps of Engineers, needed to be restored so they could put a guardrail in but they didn't want to put finish the wall for 18 foot. So you literally see 18 foot fences and then five foot guardrails. Yeah, the people can literally hop over and and yep. uh, be on their way. Well, it was uh, it was eye opening to go down there, and this was uh, after multiple trips down there. I think this is my first trip with the budget committee through the lens of the uh, of, of the budget committee's jurisdiction. It was important. Uh, all of the money you correctly point out that was a, should have been applied. Many of those dollars are going out the door to contractors to not work right now. We still have to fulfill. They have federal contracts that still have to be paid. So that uh, just compounds the tragedy down there. And, again, for me, it's uh, the recognition. Every time you don't have that wall up, fentanyl's coming across and some kid's being put at risk. On the, uh, an American citizen is being put at risk because of, uh, of contraband flooding into this country. Well, I really appreciate you putting the trip together. I really appreciate you, uh, um, the focus on the, the Texas part of the border. Uh, obviously, there's 2,000-mile southern border in this country, and, and all of it is important. We have 1,200 miles in, in Texas of that 2,000 miles. It is different in El Paso than it is in the Rio Grande Valley. It's different in Carrizo Springs and La Jolla. But uh, uh, it's important to understand the risks, the uh, the vulnerabilities that occur along the southern border so that we can make the correct budgetary decisions. Now, I'm hopeful that next January there will be an opportunity for us to revisit this with Republicans in charge of the Budget Committee. And although we'll still have a Democratic president who might not want what we have to to, to discuss with them, we need to be able – Our your, your budget says a lot about your, your priorities, and we need to make this a priority. Absolutely, Doctor. Um, the the budget is a statement of your values, is what I've heard President Biden and Nancy Pelosi say several times. And so we need to make sure that we our priority is security. Um, you know, what's going on with the policies at the southern border? It's costing everyone tons of money. 
and I remember the folks uh, from the Texas uh, public safety. They said it was costing them two and a half million dollars a week uh, for fulfilling the obligations that the federal government is failing to fulfill. And I thought that was an astonishing number. But there's there's so many aspects of how it's affecting Americans from a monetary perspective where it's costing them billions of dollars. But also it's costing a lot of lives whenever you talk about the illegal drugs that's coming across that's killing their kids, that's killing their their brothers and sisters and their their moms and dads. And that that's absolutely terrible. But it was a pleasure to have you um, on the committee and being there leading the charge. Um, and uh, it was a good trip. It was indeed. So thank you very much. I, I hope we can see you down in Texas and host you for some other activities uh, in the future. Who knows what the future holds for you in the new Republican majority. Uh, but we're anxious to, to get on with what's, uh, what's ahead of us. And uh, I, again, I can't thank you enough for being part of Doctor in the House. And we'll come back and visit your favorite wherever you get your podcast site. And there'll be new episodes coming up in the in the very near future so once again we'll cue the dramatic music and thanks very much frankie member smith for being part of us today thank you sir